It's time to catalog minor catastrophes, tell our real life terrors, and manifest some mayhem. That's right. Let's crack open the anxiety encyclopedia. I'm Catherine McNally. I'm Lorian McGill. Hello. Welcome. It's my turn. And um, we're going to talk about something that I know you know about, Lorian. Okay. <laughs> it's drug diversion. Oh. Mm-hmm. Which is when healthcare workers take prescription drugs meant for patients e- either to use or sell. And so how do you know about it, Lorian? Yeah, so I assume I'm just going to intercut all five or six episodes of the retrievals right here, right? We're just <laughs> yes. going to step away and play the yes. serial New York Times podcast, The Retrievals. Yes, I'm about to read all of the transcripts for you. <laughs> <laughs> that is how I know about it, from that podcast. Yeah, that that is where this fear has started for me. Um, And then I saw an article the other day about another person taking fentanyl I saw replacing it, just yesterday. it with saline. yes yeah so it's not just that so we're gonna like look at some examples get scared and yeah have a terrible time cool thank you so we're gonna start with the retrievals because um that's where it started so yeah if you haven't listened to the retrievals you should listen to it because after this a- after this it's very good and terrifying and yeah so at the yale fertility center nurse donna monticone secretly swapped out fentanyl for saline and that was used in egg retrieval procedures so like this very painful procedure for women who are trying to get pre- like there's so many levels of fucked up in this yeah like these women are going through this process they just want to have a baby and then this woman is like creating trauma for that like it's fucked um she was able to access these vials of fentanyl in an unlocked room so not not great yell um she was administering it though so even if it had been locked she would have been able to access it right or was it was the anesthesiologist administering the fentanyl maybe i'm wrong i don't sorry i take it back i don't know but it shouldn't be unlocked right 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 like the fuck so usually patients are in these procedures are either put under anesthesia or kept conscious but given strong sedatives these women were completely awake didn't have any painkillers and when the women complained about intense pain or asked for more medication the doctors and nurses dismissed them and told them they already received the maximum dosage. Because the doctors um, and nurses believed that they had. I mean, not that right. they dismissed their pain, but also because they were like, I can't give you more fentanyl. Right. If you're like, this is it, like, that's all I can give you. But my thing is, when you have woman after woman oh, after for sure, woman yeah. complain the same way, you got to take a step back and be like, hmm what's going on here and not just be like yeah these fucking whiny bitches man no like mm -mm. so yeah as many as 200 women may have been treated at the clinic without proper medication over five months in 2020 so it's like you think by the time you get to 100 
you're like, should we check this out? Is Donna cool? Is Donna okay? How many different doctors, I wonder, were doing the procedures? It's That's a good question. It's kind of like more in the past still sometimes, but before police departments in different cities communicated at all or at different levels when they were all like, weird that this keeps happening. And if they had just compared notes for 15 seconds, yeah. they would have been like, wait a minute, you guys, <laughs> I think this is all that's, one person. That's a good question. Yeah. And the podcast goes into- I'm not making excuses no. for the Yale fertility. I'm just thinking yeah. about, because you're right, that's so many women. So, so I'm just many. thinking about like how- could that have been missed? And as part of it, that there were all these doctors not talking about, not communicating yeah. with each other. Yeah. I feel like the podcast also like makes a point about like how patients are really like, there's sure, not a lot sure. of empathy in medicine, which is weird. Like you're, yeah. And so it's very strange. Um, but yeah. Um, so approximately 75% of vials of fentanyl given to patients at the clinic during surgical procedures contained saline. 75%. That's so much. But, um, she was busy. Um, and I, I didn't say this earlier, but it was because she was addicted to fentanyl. So um, that's why she was stealing it for personal use. Um, when the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency audited the clinic, they found discrepancies in hundreds of units of controlled substances, including fentanyl, ketamine, and midazolam. The clinic also failed to keep a record of the destruction of controlled substances and failed to show records related to the purchases and sales of these substances. So Yale is doing bare minimum here. And this is why 65 women sued Yale for medical mal malpractice and medical battery, which hate that medical battery. Don't yeah. love that. Um, Yale agreed to pay $308,250 to the Department of Justice. Um, and Monticone pled guilty and was sentenced to four weeks in prison and three months of home confinement and three years of supervised release. And it, the big reason why she was given basically no time is because she's a mom. And she didn't want her ex-husband, who was, like, abusive and whatever, to get, like, to take care of their kids. And so the judge was like, oh, you poor thing. Let's just give you a little bit of time. And I think, didn't they say she could go to prison on the weekends? Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? No, it was crazy. I mean, I think probably the only justice in that is that she'll never be a nurse again right although she tried right she was trying to get her nursing license back there's no but way. they they stopped that terrifying all right so it's not just donna there was another woman uh in wisconsin a 55 year old woman working as a registered nurse um stole fentanyl and replaced it with saline she resealed the vials with superglue before putting the drugs back in dispensing machines for future patient use. At least one patient received one of the tampered vials from the emergency room's machine in November of 2021, and they found another tampered vial. So they found like two. Okay. It just feels like it should all be more, the tampering should all be more obvious, right? You know, we have the Tylenol murders and they added a seal and you can't undo and right. redo that seal. 
So why is it easy to tamper and reseal these controlled substances? Why is it so easy to take these things that are so addictive? Like, (sighs) yeah, can I blame doctors completely for the fentanyl crisis and now they're making more problems? I don't know. Maybe No, (laughs) because I think there are some other people we can add in. Okay. Okay. But we had a real problem and they're making it worse. It, It should be harder to tamper with these things. Yeah. Yeah. Opioids. Yeah. Um, all right. So investigators discovered that the nurse had excessive had an excessive pattern of fentanyl overrides and waste compared to other employees in 2021, um, which just feels like, you know, bring me back to my Starbucks days when I would accidentally mess up a drink and then, oh, I got to drink it. <laughs> but this is opioids. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and in that case, though, the system is doing what it's supposed to do, right? The supervisory checks that they have in place are triggering this review where it's but looking at her numbers. Like, and... This sounds like these are outside investigators. I don't know if this is a hospital, like the hospital. That identified the high level of override and stuff. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not completely confident, but um maybe it is i don't know my next sentence says when hospital management confronted the nurse so maybe they did Um, i don't know we don't know this i just want to blame hospitals (laughs) (laughs) okay well (laughs) fine they caught her whatever but (laughs) i mean there will always be bad people abusing systems sure Getting into positions of power and abusing those powers, right? Yeah. So having systems and checks and balances in place that catch those abuses more quickly and effectively and then confronting the people is part of the mitigation of that. Yeah, it's got to be a better system. So they confronted her and asked her to take a drug test. This is in November 2021. She refused to take the test and resigned from the hospital. Nothing to see here, folks. Nope. She's like, that nah, I don't feel like it. I'm actually, suspicious. I'm actually over being a nurse. So like, see ya. Um, she did admit that her actions were driven by her addiction to opioids, and she was sentenced to one year and three months in federal prison. Um, she's also been fined thirty thousand dollars and ordered to one year of supervised release following her time in prison. Like that is wild. That like she's actually gonna serve time for two tampered vials. Right. And Donna affected probably 200 women. Yeah. And she got to go to prison on the weekends. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right, we got another one in Florida. Between February and April of 2022, a Florida-registered nurse named Catherine Shannon Dunton stole 450 vials of fentanyl and replace them with saline while working at an outpatient surgery center. That's so much. That's so much in such a short amount of time. February to April? Goddamn. Was she selling it? It was for her. All that feels like so much. Yeah. Yeah. She was busy. She did admit previously, while working at a different medical center in 2008, 
She diverted Demerol, morphine, fentanyl, and Percocet for personal use. So she had done it before, and no one... I guess she got away with it. She only admitted it once she got caught with this. Wow. Uh-huh. A court... This is my favorite. According to a spokesperson for the surgery center where Dunton worked, the nurse's actions didn't affect patients. How, how, how is that did, possible? How did they catch her? Uh, I don't know. Okay. But, like, how could it not have affected patients? Yeah. There's 450 vials. I got questions. All right, now I'm going to give you rapid fire a couple other instances. A nurse at Children's Medical Center in Dallas stole 123 syringes of morphine, vials containing more than a half gallon of fentanyl, and a variety of other drugs. That's so much fentanyl. I know. In 2022, two nurses at Medical City Plano, Plano, pocketed more than a quart of fentanyl as well as sedatives and other painkillers then in july of 2023 a technician at sundance psychiatric hospital in garland stole 16 gallons of codeine cough syrup mm-hmm. yeah so well, at least like- that one I don't think they're, like, replacing it with saline. I think they just stole yeah. 16 gallons of codeine cough syrup. Right. It's not... Look, if you want to steal, go for it. Don't be like... Well, don't do what? the next level. <laughs> don't do the next level of giving me saline when I'm expecting an opioid. For sure. I'd rather have it just go missing than you do a little swap Well, no, I can appreciate that from the patient perspective, but I think probably the people stealing aren't going to do that because it's more likely to get caught quicker. You know we love dumb criminals. I do. I do. So, yeah, there's like that layer, right? Like, it's bad for patients, obviously, but it's also bad for the nurses who are addicted to, and doctors, some doctors are addicted as well. Of course. Um, So, for instance... Two nurses died of fentanyl overdoses inside of UT Southwestern's Clements Hospital in Dallas within 16 months of each other, both in, like, the bathroom. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, so the the hospital does have safeguards to prevent drug diversion. They have finger, fingerprint access. They have education yeah. on signs of abuse. They have a witness watching the disposal of access, ex, excess medicine. And... Government regulations require hospitals to keep accurate records of how addictive drugs like anesthetics, sedatives, painkillers are used, to have a system in place to detect diversions quickly and to report thefts. But in 2015, UT Southwestern's internal auditors found lapses in how Clements and other university facilities manage dangerous drugs. Like, for instance, many employees had unauthorized access to the drugs. Staff members did not dispose of access medicine correctly. Liquids were dumped down sinks, which is in violation of uh, federal environmental rules. Employees also didn't dispense of or dispose of pills or medicine in secure containers. So they're like not following the rules that they're supposed to be following. And over the last four years, in uh, 125 hospitals across Texas, they reported a combined total of 220 thefts. Some were of, like, a single pill, 
Others were thousands of doses. Most commonly stolen were painkillers like morphine, fentanyl, and hydrocodone. Healthcare providers under the influence of fentanyl or experiencing withdrawal symptoms are more likely to make mistakes and errors that lead to patient harm through botched surgeries and incorrect diagnoses and the, and the administration of improper medications. So it's like bad all around for of everyone. Course. Of course. Yeah. Most, the vast, vast majority of nurses are just overworked, doing yeah. their best, not stealing medication, trying to take care of too many patients and, uh, yeah, working They're... crazy hours for not enough pay or appreciation. Okay. Yeah. Stop there's that, a I'm... lot of things that make me anxious about like medical things. Like I don't, I think nurses shouldn't have to work 12 hour shifts. Like that seems like not good. I don't, they need to sleep. They need to eat. They like, why are we overworking them and not paying? Like, it's just a lot of, the system doesn't seem great for anyone. And I don't like that. Um, all right. There's also, okay. So you have issues of bad for the patients, bad for the people addicted. Another layer of the issue is like, it's the investigation of drug diversion is long and difficult Mm -hmm. to do. So that's making it hard to catch them as well. So drug diversion detection has historically been a manual and time-intensive process, with 71% of respondents reporting that their team spends eight or more hours on each investigation. So it takes a lot of time, and that's an issue. It's, it is an issue, but don't we want also an investigation of something like that to be carefully considered? You don't want it to be like, we looked at this for 30 minutes and you're gone. Right. We decided you did this. <laughs> yeah. or we decided you did it. Either way, right? Like yeah. That is the kind of thing where I want that, I, that, which is not to say that that means that those eight hours are being spent efficiently or effectively but sure i'm also curious now like what is the investigative team what is how many people are involved in the hospital like whose job is that i want to know that maybe we need more i don't know um you're saying we need more hospital administrators well no i want like detectives who want to work in hospitals is that can we do that it definitely sounds like a CBS procedural coming yeah. out after the writer strike. <laughs> so you never know. I I have a lot of ideas that are not good <laughs> for TV. <laughs> uh, hospitals also struggle with consistency when it comes to managing detection programs. Uh, 69 of respondents pointed to the increased presence of floating staff or contract director workers as a primary factor that made drug diversion detection more challenging. So like, especially with COVID, you have more people who are coming in and out of hospitals more frequently. So it's harder to keep track of like who has access to this, who, you know, and so that's another layer of issues, but maybe just like give people full-time jobs. I don't know. Might help. So as many as 15% of medical workers will adru- abuse drugs or alcohol during their career. 
which, you know, it's a slice. I feel like, do you know if they, like, get drug tested frequently? I don't know how do frequently. Mm. But I would like that to happen, maybe. Uh, here's a question you probably don't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. What's the percentage of the general population of people who abuse drug and alcohol? Like, is that 15% higher, lower? That's a great question. It's about the same. Okay. 16.5% of the okay. population. Yep. So it's really not that much different, but, you know, I don't want... I'm not like, then it's cool. That's a good number. (laughs) No, I was just. But it's not. Yeah, it's not like, oh, that's so scary because it's so much more than ever. No, it's the same. It's actually a little less. But yeah, maybe some like drug tests would be good to make sure that like the person doing surgery on me isn't high on opioids would be good. Um, So yeah, how afraid? Despite 98% of healthcare executives agreeing that drug diversion occurs in hospitals, nearly four in five healthcare executives surveyed believe that most drug diversion goes unprotected, undetected. Wow. So it's a problem. And so, like, look, how common is it? I don't, it's hard to put a number on it, right? Right. But we have an opioid crisis absolutely and we're not addressing it and people who are working and having access to it are going to their addiction is going to dictate how they act and so it's not not a problem um but i know you love ai i do love ai and you're not afraid of it at all no, I think it's um, <laughs> good all the time. AI might be able to help with um, catching drug diversion. So since 2019, hospitals that report using machine learning, so AI, to yeah. detect patterns of diversion and automatically flag potential cases have doubled. So like it's increasing and it can like move more quickly, right? If it's like learning what to look for, hopefully yeah. it won't take... It might be we use this AI and in 30 minutes or less, we figured out (laughs) that you are diverting drugs. Yeah. No, I think this actually, that is a good use of AI because what happens then is it's still going to go, it's never going to be like AI decides who keeps or loses. Well, I don't know about never, but it's not anytime soon going to be AI decides who keeps or loses their job. But what it will do is flag and expedite that initial process. So then the people who are reviewing it do less of that lower level uh, identification work of the threat and can focus in and spend more time with what's been flagged as long as the machine learning is not training itself like incorrectly yeah. um then no I think that actually makes a ton of sense yeah yeah I'm sure too that I could see a individual who is taking advantage of I could see them setting up in hospitals in areas where there is a lot of addiction. So people aren't going to be believed if they claim that they're not, you know, certain underserved areas, um, just kind of taking advantage of the, the populations so that it goes undetected for longer. 
It seems to you like the culture around addiction, sort of being able to own up to your addiction for fear of losing your job is probably perpetuating it to some extent. There's, you know, for a long time and still to some extent in the military and in the government, people would not own up or be diagnosed with mental illness because they would fear that that would lose their position, lose their clearance, Mm -hmm. whatever. And so it's actually way more important that people be medicated or see a therapist. And so getting over that like silence, that fear of sharing it leads to fewer incidences because then it can be managed. And so it doesn't have to be a, a disqualifier as long as it's being managed. Right. And so I think I don't know if there's a similar culture in hospitals around addiction where the, I mean, I think in general, there is a similar culture around addiction where part of the way it perpetuates is in this shameful silence. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I would imagine that also extends to the hospital. Sorry, that was kind of tangential. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, we got some issues with addiction in general and yeah. That's definitely feeding into this, but yeah, no doubt. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I worry about, you know, being a patient, not getting painkillers and then not being believed. And then also the nurses that are, yeah, everyone, it's bad for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's drug diversion. Uh Oh, and yeah. I'm going to think about it for a long time. Yeah, definitely. What what is making you anxious this week, Lorian? Well, I kind of like freaked myself out yesterday because I am just still a child who it's, it's fall, right? So I watched the first two episodes of the Apple TV show, The Changeling. Have you watched this show? (gasps) Yes. I've only watched the first two and it's kind of a slow starter. There's nothing in that first episode, there's nothing super overtly creepy, but Mm -hmm. there is a real tone building. There's a mood. There's a very effective sense of dread. Something is something bad is coming. Right. And so I watched that and then I read, I'm reading this book called a flicker in the dark, which is also a thriller, a suspense thriller about a serial killer. And the woman is being really frustrating right now, but, uh, because she has decided it's someone and I've decided it's someone else like hundred pages ago. So I think she's going to get herself killed. But the point is I watched those, the show read like hundred pages of this book and then went to bed. Oh no. <laughs> the most, just like the worst night of sleep. So many deeply unsettling dreams. At one point I was driving and like on a road trip and was being pursued by a baddie somehow. And like, every time I stopped, I had to stop really fast and then get back on the, you know, it was just, so I, I, I am still like a little kid. I can't moderate my content appropriately to maintain. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to watch the other two episodes that are out. I'm going to finish the book. I recommend all of these things, but I really kind of messed myself up yesterday yeah you gotta be careful about that spooky season of stuff i know i'm gonna watch some bob's burgers or something before i go to sleep you have you have to have a palate cleanser at the end of the night so because yeah otherwise 
every shadow I see is someone trying to murder me. But but on the other hand, I do recommend the changeling. Like you, Samfield's really great. Yeah. And it's really interesting. So it's perfect for this season. It is. And it's creepy. And I don't, I have so many questions. Yeah. So, but you know, get your, get your Bob's Burgers, get your Parks and Rec, get your new girl ready to go after. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What is making you anxious this week? Okay. So I'll tell you about two because yours reminded me of the other day I convinced myself that there were gunshots outside of my window. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So the, it was like, it was one after the other. It was like one goes off and then another goes off and then another. And it's like long enough. And look, at first I'm like, it's a firework, but it's like, right. I imagine this person is like on the sidewalk right next to my building because it sounds so close. And I have the windows open. And it's long enough where I convince myself that it's guns and I turn off all of the lights because then I convince myself that they're going to see the lights on and they're going to shoot into my apartment. Normal, rational thinking. And then at the end, it's like really rapid succession, like three pop, pop, pop. And that obviously I was like, that's a gun. Because I don't understand. I don't mess with fireworks, so I don't. We know that. And about then I you. freaked out. I freaked out the cats. Belle was so scared. She hid like next to the fridge. That's so scary. I have always been nervous about having a bedroom with the street window. Because when I was a kid, and when I was really little, we lived on a street that did have a drive-by shooting when I was growing up there. We weren't home that day. And it wasn't even, it was just a guy got mad that someone told him to slow down and like fired out his window. And there was a nearby apartment building where uh, violent crimes happened more than once. So that, so it's kind of a dodgy neighborhood and we moved, but even then I had a, when we moved into a new neighborhood, I did have a bedroom and it was a very quiet street, but it wasn't, uh, I had a window facing the street. And sometimes I was worried about, you know, trying to fall asleep at night. Like, again, this was a very quiet street. Nothing ever happened on this street, but so that's, that makes sense to me. Did you figure out what it was? Nope. It was, it didn't, it was just that I assume it's some kind of firework, but I was like, what the fuck is happening? I don't like that. Yeah. And then my other one is someone that I work with um, was deciding that he's going to play matchmaker because he's bored with his life. Um, And it was one day he comes to my room beginning of the day, which is never a good start. Like I need my alone time. And he oh well he had first texted me like oh my daughter's um my daughter's ELA teacher is basically like my mini me but with a man bun and I did the I ignored it for a while and then I did a haha reaction bare minimum I saw it acknowledge it move on then he comes to my door and he's like yeah so here are all the things that like he's trying to like hype up this dude like he likes true crime he has cats whatever like I don't know how you feel about man buns and I'm like are you playing matchmaker well and and you finish then I'll tell you what I think okay and then once you think it's over and you're like lol this guy is so sad he emails me a screenshot of the dude and his 
picture on the school district's website. And he labels the email networking. I'm like, I don't need your help. Thank you so much, sir. Yeah. Like a couple of things about this. One is you guys are not like buds. So it's really (laughs) weird. The The implication is that I want to fuck him. That's the thing. That's the biggest thing. Because the weird thing is that because some people enjoy playing matchmaker it's not great it's kind of whatever he's not totally wrong like there are he's an english language arts teacher sure. he has cats he likes true crime right there are whatever. things that where he's done the work but the the thing you can't do is say this person is like me and that's why and I then it's just very inappropriate to be like I, well okay it's at best extremely arrogant to be like yes. everyone would want to be with someone like me so yes best case scenario is he thinks that the best selling point for someone is his likeness the worst yes. case scenario is he thinks that specifically for you i want to get with them <laughs> so it's not good it's not good no matter what yeah it would have been like i mean fine it would have been weird but like fine if it just had been like either one of those situations like just saying that's my mini me or just being like yes dude like true crime you should stalk him but the combination that's that's where i'm like matchmaking is not it's kind of annoying but it's not the worst some people just like to do that they like to get involved in their single friends lives and it's just sometimes it works again i don't think you have that relationship with him no uh, not at all i think you have to ask like a person or you uh-huh. have to know them well enough for them to be like, would you be interested in being set uh-huh. up with this person? You don't have that relationship with him. And but again, barely not, knows this guy. That's, this is the- that's also really weird. But that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is that combined with his claiming that they are the same person where I'm like, ooh, gonna be a, it's going to be a no from me. Yeah, I was like, this is a weird way to start my day. So weird. So weird. Yeah. So who knows how this is going to progress? suddenly he'll invite this dude to something and then who the fuck knows i don't know but very weird very strange i mean the worst case scenario is actually you meet and fall in love with this guy and he is your perfect match and then you're like weirdly indebted to this colleague who thinks he's responsible for the rest of your life and secretly walking around like Catherine wants to fuck me. Yeah, that's that's the worst case scenario is a love match in this instance usually that's not the case (laughs) Honestly, though, we're starting from this point, so it's automatically like icky. <laughs> so I don't think that's, I don't think I'm going to be able to get over that. What if he's so good? He transcends the awkward starting point. That would be incredible. And then I'd have to walk all this back. But for right now, I feel pretty confident. The answer is you guys would have to leave Seattle. You would have to move yeah. away from the person claiming responsibility for your couple. I would immediately have to change districts immediately. And never and block his number forever. And then we could go live our lives. Like you're not part of this. This was a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Um, <laughs> so yeah. What is uh bringing you joy? Um, my birthday is on Friday and I like having a birthday. So Yay. <laughs> I like to get free coffee. I like to go out to eat. I like presents. I like people saying nice things to me. So yeah, that's, and we're going to go do Bob's Burgers trivia on Wednesday night. I'm going to go with some of my family. I think we're going to be really bad because there's 
so much Bob's so Burgers. Many. Yeah. But if you it's need to be fun, there's going to be texting you under text to me. I've been, that's been a rewatch for me. So it's fresh I like, in my mind. I like that I'm not going to cheat by Googling. I'm going to cheat you by phone a phone friend. Phone a friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're going to have themed cocktails. So I think it's going to be a good week. So I that's that. what I I'm hope there's like about. the child molester or whatever Louise first named that burger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our team name is Bob's Turkeys. So. Uh, you are ready. <laughs> so I that's love me. this. What is bringing you joy? Um, I've gone full on Halloween, which when they listen to this, it'll be acceptable. But it's September, and it's not acceptable. It also, but I don't care. Might still be September. It might still be. Well, it's even more unacceptable in oh, our no, timeline. You're right. We'll be first week of October, so they'll think. There you go. Yeah, I did it. Mm, I can't even say mid-September. It was during my COVID vacation. I was like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put up the Halloween decorations and I like it. And I've already watched Hocus Pocus and Halloween Town and I will absolutely be watching Hocus Pocus again and I don't care. Yay. I don't I just... think you're alone. I sent I told you my sister and brother-in-law have already put up the spooky village and everything and other decorations. My little ghost friend that they hang in their houses up. So you're safe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic really taught me, like, who the fuck cares? You want to put up your Christmas tree in July, do it. I don't, do whatever you want. You can. I do feel like that will lessen the joy for you by actual Christmas time. <laughs> well, sure. I'm not going to do like that. I feel like I'm so sick of this tree. I'm not going to do that. But Halloween, I can make Halloween two months if I want to. You sure can. I agree. So, yeah. Since you refuse to put up your Lorian's birthday decorations, you have to put up. I told well, you not to I- skip over. The balloons are coming out. Don't worry. <laughs> it's just going to be Halloween and Lauren's birthday at the same time. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'll accept it. <sighs> All right. The world can be a scary place. Don't forget to take a deep breath. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore anxiety pod. We'll talk to you next week.